Welcome, I'm Anna Ginger, your host of The Anna Ginger Show. I'm an international adoptee who has experienced the pain of rejection and the peace that comes with self-discovery and acceptance. Along the way, I have discovered that I am not alone. In some ways, we are all adopted into or out of homes, cultures, communities, and relationships as we grow and evolve. These experiences create who we are and who we are yet to be. So let's discover how we can be and become our best selves by connecting to the guest and creative content cradled in the belief that we belong, that we are worthy, and that we are loved in this world. So stay tuned and you may discover your own adoption story. So what if we interrupted our impulse to think, this is what we need to transform here in our geographical region in order to help transform our world, and instead gave ourselves the permission to broadly and collaboratively vision and manifest. This is how amazing it feels to be part of one intentional, healthy, and happy global community. And what if we included all other life on earth, our equal partners in the new intentional global community as part of our vision and manifestation? Now, these are the questions in the invitation to engage in hope-inducing experiments together that are extended by, to, extended by today's guest. Deb Gold is a certified ICF coach who helps globally focused individuals and organizations take practical pathways to transformation to create purposeful and impactful transformation out in the world. That is a lot. So welcome, Deb, to our show. Thank you so much, Anna. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for all that you do to bring goodness in this world. Um, now, on your website, you share that it feels important to share the story of how you entered the world and how it's important your actions ever, how it's informed, I'm sorry, your actions ever since. So why don't we start with you sharing your adoption story with us, since this is the Anna Ginger Show. Yeah, well, as you know, um, probably from speaking with other adoptees, I could go on all day uh, about an adoption story, but... Um, I will just share briefly, I think the essence of my story and the piece that feels like it's mine to tell. Um, I will leave out other people's parts of the story. Okay. So I was, um, born prematurely, uh, very prematurely, uh, eight weeks prematurely. And I was two pounds, 12 ounces at birth. And uh, my biological mother was uh, unwed and a teenager. And, uh, and I will share that I um, made it through that experience as a preemie, um, basically because of what I'm told uh, to be, what, fe- what, what was interpreted as resilience, hardiness, as an infant, just sort of a will to live. And it feels important to look back on that story because obviously I don't remember it myself as uh, something that's thematic in my life. Um, And it almost feels like I was meant to be here to go through that initial trauma right from the get-go and to persevere in order to, to help others. And that is pretty much, that feels true to who I've been in my life, uh, always feeling like I wanted to help and then working in nonprofit and then more recently in the field of of health and wellness and uh, up to my time as a transformational coach at the moment. Um, Yeah, I'll start with that. 
Yeah, that's a good place to start. I think that um, I just recently over the weekend talked to two adoptees randomly, and one shared with me that his adoption story seemed like a very small part of who he was and who he was meant to be in this world. But lots of other people have a great interest in how he came to be in this world. The other adoptee that I just talked to today, she said, adoption changes you. And for her, she's always had a calling to make a difference uh, for others by helping them feel like they belong and that they're connected because she feels like in the womb, that as her birth mother was making the decision to give her up for adoption, that even all that energy of her birth mother was uh, transferred to her and her calling to make a difference. That's how she feels about the beginning of her life. And so what it sounds like to me is that that beginning story for you too is how you have been informed about how you are changing the lives of others that you interact with. Is that a fair? Yes, I think that is a big piece of it. And also a feeling of myself being supported in that mission. Always feeling like, uh, I that like something or someone had my back, um, for lack of better words, um, and not really understanding that when I was younger what it was, but now um, being more uh, sort of spiritually evolved, uh, I understand that as just sort of you know yeah like you're here for a reason and you're being protected and supported in that purpose. And so part of your journey, as far as like you're just saying that you went from nonprofit, which is very mission-based, uh, to being in this role as a coach. So how are those two things connected, do you think? Yeah, it feels like uh, very evolutionary. It feels like where I was developmentally at that time, it was a very good thing for me to be working in nonprofit uh, to to feel like I was, you know, I was helping, but also realizing that something big was missing um, in the puzzle and feeling the frustration of that and almost the intersection of society um, and our structures. And as they, uh, as they play out in, at the organizational level, including in nonprofit organizations, I remember feeling very frustrated that, uh, there were uh, that the structures of the system um, made it difficult to actually create the um, do the help and create the change or um, be of service in the way that felt I was meant to and it felt a little bit like a struggle uh, and, and yet necessary a necessary edu- part of my education. Yeah, you know, um, I also on your website when I was looking through that, and we met through just connecting on the online. um, And when I went to your website, you say that you are in the right place if you want to ditch the foggy goggles and see your truth clearly revealed. And what's interesting, our subject matter expert, Dr. Melissa Rizzo, she's written a whole dissertation on adoption and called the adoption fog or goggles. And so Mm -hmm. it's interesting. I talked to Dr. Rizzo um, before our interview, and this is what she wanted to share with you. Uh, So Dr. Rizzo writes, the adoption fog or goggles, as you call them, has been a way to talk about the ways the U.S. society perceives and talks about adoption. 
Often adoption is viewed as saving grace for both children whose parents could not raise them for a multitude of reasons and mother who could not live that role, again, for many reasons. While this may be true in some cases, it certainly isn't all, but this narrative is perpetuated in everyday talk and all forms of media and anywhere discussions of adoptions arise. In my dissertation, as Dr. Rizzo says, several participants talk about coming out of the fog when beginning the search for biological family members. This often happens when they discover more information about the circumstances of their adoptions, particularly gaining firsthand information from birth mothers' perspectives or other family members offers a realistic view of their experiences that led up to the adoption, sometimes including the why. Many participants stated this was the missing piece of the puzzles and the way that they understood why they were adopted and found some closure regardless of the relationships with their birth mothers after reunion. And so this is what Dr. Rizzo has to say. Uh, she studied uh, um, the topic of adoption and connected to those foggy goggles. And so mm. how do you respond to uh, what Dr. Rizzo had to say about your appearance today? Yes, I've read about that, um, that the coming out of the fog. Um, and yes, I do understand that to be the experience of a lot of people. Um, I don't exactly identify with that, all that, although we each have our own stories and experiences. And, um, but I, I believe that to be true. Um, my experience is with the, my, when I talk about the foggy goggles, it's not exactly or only related to adoptees, but certainly includes adoptees. It is uh, more generally focused on uh, identity and how we see ourselves in the world. And I think oftentimes, um, and because of society, we, uh, think of ourselves as sort of separate from from nature or not natural beings similar to animals or plants or other life on earth and it makes us feel disconnected and separate and yet when we work on understanding that that simply isn't the case that we are natural beings or else we wouldn't be here uh, then you know, in the process of that, whatever tools we use for understanding, then slowly the gla- the goggles become clearer and we understand that it's really not the natural way of looking at the world, um, it, that, that, you know, the natural way of looking at the world as us being part of nature, uh, receiving nature's instructions and being able to be led more naturally uh, in ways that feel better um, and more purposeful and meaningful um, when we can practice the art of cleaning those goggles. But it certainly applies to being an adoptee. Adoptee has so much to do with, uh, you know, adoptees uh, uh, have a lot of struggle, I think, in general with the, the, the concept of identity and a lot of identity is wrapped up in who may perhaps birthed us, um, whose di- DNA we share, and who raised us. And um, and then what I'm proposing is that we don't always necessarily need to see it that way, that we can be ourselves with our own unique identity in ways that have nothing to do with either uh, – those who birthed us or who who raised us. 
Yeah, I, I love that so much. And I see that connection too. And I think this will be a good opportunity to um, come to this point where we have these creative interchanges that can help us discover how we can be and become our best selves. And that's why I reserve this time to connect you, our guest, to an artist, an artistic expression of our shared experiences as adoptees or just as individuals. And this is why I invited Wendy McVicker to give us an opportunity to think about our experiences from a poetic point of view. So welcome, Wendy. Thank you, Anna, and it's so good to be here. I appreciate this and love listening to you and Deb, your, uh, the conversation you're having. Yeah, thank you. Well, what would you like our listeners to know about you before you read your poem? Um, well, it's so interesting to... I've been listening to what you've been talking about and thinking, and Deb mentioned the art of cleaning our goggles. Uh, I think that all of us walk around um, seeing the world through goggles that might be distorted, that might be foggy, and that maybe part of what we're here on earth to do is clean our goggles so that we can be who we are meant to be on the planet. And um, I, I guess I want to say that um, I was raised in my birth family um, by parents who had many difficulties with being adults and parents. <laughs> and um, so the, the way I feel, one of the ways that I feel my goggles got sort of smeared by their fingerprints, um, they, uh, I think our parents often are the first ones to give us our story and it isn't always an accurate story or the most compassionate story. And uh, what I find is that through the act of writing and specifically writing poetry, I have been over the years, I hope, <laughs> clearing the goggles and uh, coming to understand the different strands of the story that um, that I grew up with and that informed, you know, informed the first at least 20 years of my life and has affected the rest of it. Yes. And well, and you, I shared the story of, of Deb and information about her. And I asked you, invited you to select a poem uh, to match mm -hmm. to Deb and her story. And you found a poem that you have written. And would you like to introduce your poem and read it for us? Sure. This is a poem called Flying Lessons. Um, and I suppose to, and to, and it is um, about these slippery narratives that we grow up with. Flying Lessons. She said, he said, if I ever spoke my anger out loud, it would fry us all to a crisp. Or did she say it was her anger that burned? He said, she said, I am numb all over. But whose heart became a chip of ice that wouldn't melt? They lived in a polar twilight, creeping along chiseled surfaces above an ice-flecked sea, gripping each other's arms until blue bruises bloomed. And we, their children, we sought warmth wherever we could find it, in empty rooms, up narrow stairs, on ledges above the city. Don't jump, don't jump, came the cry. But how else? Would we learn to fly? Thank you, Wendy. 
And so tell us a little bit about um, why you selected this poem for Deb, and then we'll get Deb's reaction. Okay, I think I think because of I think <laughs> because of the um, mission to understand ourselves and try to be um, try to be more authentic in the world, more who we are in the world. The it's you know it's a task we have. Um, also, just just now, Deb spoke about about her will to live as an infant. You know, coming into the world too early, too small, and having um, just the will to live and surviving that. And I have often thought about that same thing, living in challenging circumstances as a small child. That there, I, I think of it for myself as a little flame of joy that would not be blown out. And um, this, for me, this seemed to relate in some way, in some poetic way to the work that Deb does in the world. Oh my gosh, I love that. So Deb, how do you respond to what uh, Wendy just had uh, to say in the poem? Yeah, oh, thank you, Wendy. What a beautiful poem. Thank you. Uh, the piece that re- when you just said, a little flame of joy. Mm. I, I saw the flame. Mm. Um, it, it just, that's so beautiful. Um, and yeah, because I think what can happen, well, I will respond to, I guess I am responding to the poem, but also saying like, I feel like what can happen with, um, with the narrative around a, a lot of people's adoption stories is, you know, uh, like, you know, why am I here kind of, you know, and, um, and, you know, where do I fit in um, to this family that, you know, that isn't biological or, or whatever it is, or trying to, trying to, uh, to be included. And, um, and I, I just got this, this picture of this adorable or beautiful little flame of joy um, and I think that is, I guess, yeah, like sort of an ideal, an idealized picture of what can be. Um, it's almost like that's the essence of the person, the, the soul, right, is the little flame. I've heard the soul kind of described as a flame before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, to keep the, you know, keeping, you, the goal is to keep the flame alive. Yes, um, and I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, despite any adversity, right, that we all experience, not just adoptees, you know, we all experience adversity as children and in life uh, as we as we age. And, um, and how do we sort of keep that little flame of joy alive? That's just really resonating with me. And the, the piece of the poem that that really kind of says, oh, pick me, pick me, talk about me, is, is, the, is the very end of the, um, you know, the, the don't jump, the don't jump, um, but then how else will you learn to fly? Mm-hmm. Um, the way I interpret that for myself is the experience I've had throughout life of, of the way fear works and the way that our mind um, governs that fear 
are through its desire to protect us. Mm-hmm. So for benevolent reasons, um, but that's the technology. That's sort of the rudimentary uh, technology is to is its desire to protect us, and it protects us and keeps us small mm-hmm. by saying you don't want to try that. You don't want to try that new thing. You don't want to jump off. You don't want to you know be that new person. Explore who you're meant to be because you could get hurt. That could be unsafe. And to me, that don't jump voice was the voice of the mind. And yet the body, the, the mm-hmm. whole being, and our, the whole natural being that's meant to be here in the world for a specific purpose or purposes, uh, has an incredible desire and need to jump yes. in order to, to, it, to do what it's meant to do. Find its wings, yes. Yeah. And, oh, thank you for that. That's really, <laughs> that's very moving to me. And I, I felt like jumping in when you were talking about that flame of joy um, to say, it seems to me that uh, the work that you do, the work that Anna is doing here, um, the work that I do, that we're all, this is what we're all, I think, trying to do in our different ways is keep, keep that flame alive, not only in ourselves, but help fan the flames of the others that we come into contact with mm. through our work. Um, and that makes, that makes the whole world warmer, doesn't it? In a good way. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I love, I think what you do, Wendy, and I saw you facilitate the conversation at Ohio Uni- University with um, Robin Wall-Kimmerer the, and what Deb does as far as connecting us to nature and to how we are interconnected in this world, is that both of you encourage others to be open to the wisdom of the world. And so I thought um, that we could have a discussion about the poem and the work to be open to the wisdom of the world. And I'm going to let you, Wendy, talk about that for just a second, and then Deb, jump in. Yes, I love... Uh, okay, thank you, Anna. What a wonderful challenge. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I think that... Uh, I loved hearing you talk earlier, both of you, about how um, we often think ourselves as separate from nature, but we, of course, we are not separate from nature. And when we do think of ourselves as separate from nature, then we we feel alienated, we feel isolated, we start to feel afraid of what we consider nature to be um, outside of us. And the for me, the the work of writing poetry is a way of connecting. So I feel it connects me to other souls in the world and they souls in humans, but also to in some, in some way to the soul of the planet. You know, I, I want to listen to that. I want to listen to what the planet is saying to me with all of its mouths, not just the mouths that speak the language that I happen to speak, you know, and, um, when I think think about this particular poem, I know that I I often visualize the emotional coldness of my childhood home as being a kind of polar twilight, a dim, cold place. And so it's it's important for me to not just have this abstract intellectual 
understanding of emotional coldness, but to be able to connect it with um, with something that the body experiences as part of nature. So as we come to the close, which is always comes quicker than I think, I'm going to ask both of you to what, to extend an invitation to our listeners of what you think they can do to create a world where everyone can feel that they belong, that they matter, and that they're loved. I'm going to start with Wendy, and then we'll close out with Deb. Oh, I would invite people to honor their own truths and name them. Um, because I think that when we're able to do that and we can be open to our own, to our own truth, truths, we can be open to each other's. And a world in which we can be open to one another feels like a good world to be in. Yeah, And then I'm going to just ask you, so if someone wanted to access your poems and to be able to be inspired by your poetry, how can they find you, Wendy? Ah, well, uh, the poem that I read today is from my chapbook, Zero Adore, which is available from the Orchard Street Press. If you live in Athens, you can also ask the little professor to find it. And you can also find me uh, some on Facebook, although I'm not there very often. Um, my other books are also available either through me or through our local bookstore or through the publishers. Great. And then we can put that information too on the website and our social media as well. So uh, Deb, for I ask you the same question to extend that invitation to our listeners. Yeah, I would say um, ask questions. Uh, you know, instead of assuming that you know um, the answers to things, and often those answers can be unfortunately negative, and that is our mind controlling the narrative. Instead, we can interrupt that impulse to listen to those old unhelpful stories, and instead we can ask question like, what, what else? Like, how else can I think about this? How else can I see this? How else can we be together in this world, all of us? as a whole person um, in a, a healthier and uh, more helpful way. And if those um, who are listening would like to be in contact with you and learn more about how you help others to be open to the wisdom of the world, how do they find you? Yes, um, at www.debgoldcoaching.com. Great. Well, a heartfelt thanks to both both of you for sharing your story and Wendy for selecting and reading a poem connected to the to Deb's story. Thank you to Adam Rich with WOUB for engineering and editing today's program. Our subject matter expert is Dr. Melissa Rizzo, and our storytelling producer is Zoe Lambert. Our credit our credit uh, will give credit to our creative and editing team includes Maddie, Maya, Alexa, Linnea, and Mark. And our music producer is Nick Kazernas, who's been writing genre twisting songs for over 30 years, including this show's theme song, Way to Me. And I am your host, Anna Ginja, signing off with a reminder that the key to unlocking all things good in this world is love. Here, you are loved and you are home. Always a friend and fan, this is Anna Ginja wishing you days filled with love, laughter, and peace.